chapter three of chrome yellow by aldous huxley this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter three the terrace in front of the house was a long narrow strip of turf bounded along its outer edge by a graceful stone balustrade two little summer houses of brick stood at either end below the house the ground sloped very steeply away and the terrace was a remarkably high one from the balusters to the sloping lawn beneath was a drop of thirty feet seen from below the high unbroken terrace wall built like the house itself of brick had the almost menacing aspect of a fortification a castle bastion from whose parapet one looked out across airy depths to distances level with the eye below in the foreground hedged in by solid masses of sculptured yew-trees lay the stone-brimmed swimming-pool beyond it stretched the park with its massive elms its green expanses of grass and at the bottom of the valley the gleam of the narrow river on the farther side of the stream the land rose again in a long slope chequered with cultivation looking up the valley to the right one saw a line of blue far-off hills the tea-table had been planted in the shade of one of the little summer houses and the rest of the party was already assembled about it when dennis and priscilla made their appearance henry wimbush had begun to pour out the tea he was one of those ageless unchanging men on the farther side of fifty who might be thirty who might be anything dennis had known him almost as long as he could remember in all those years his pale rather handsome face had never grown any older it was like the pale grey bowler hat which he always wore winter and summer unaging calm serenely without expression next him but separated from him and from the rest of the world by the almost impenetrable barriers of her deafness sat jenny mullion she was perhaps thirty had a tilted nose and a pink and white complexion and wore her brown hair plaited and coiled in two lateral buns over her ears in the secret tower of her deafness she sat apart looking down at the world through sharply piercing eyes what did she think of men and women and things that was something that dennis had never been able to discover in her enigmatic remoteness jenny was a little disquieting even now some interior joke seemed to be amusing her for she was smiling to herself and her brown eyes were like very bright round marbles on his other side the serious moonlike innocence of mary bracegirdle's face shone pink and childish she was nearly twenty-three but one wouldn't have guessed it her short hair clipped like a page's hung in a bell of elastic gold about her cheeks she had large blue china eyes whose expression was one of ingenuous and often puzzled earnestness next to mary a small gaunt man was sitting rigid and erect in his chair in appearance mr scogan was like one of those extinct bird lizards of the tertiary his nose was beaked his dark eye had the shining quickness of a robin's but there was nothing soft or gracious or feathery about him the skin of his wrinkled brown face had a dry and scaly look his hands were the hands of a crocodile his movements were marked by the lizard's disconcertingly abrupt clockwork speed his speech was thin fluty and dry henry wimbush's schoolfellow and exact contemporary mr scogan looked far older and at the same time far more youthfully alive than did that gentle aristocrat with the face like a grey bowler 
mr scogan might look like an extinct saurian but gombol was altogether and essentially human in the old-fashioned natural histories of the thirties he might have figured in a steel engraving as a type of homo sapiens an honour which at that time commonly fell to lord byron indeed with more hair and less collar gombo would have been completely byronic more than byronic even for gombo was of provencal descent a black-haired young corsair of thirty with flashing teeth and luminous large dark eyes dennis looked at him enviously he was jealous of his talent if only he wrote verse as well as gombo painted pictures still more at the moment he envied gombo his looks his vitality his easy confidence of manner was it surprising that anne should like him like him it might even be something worse dennis reflected bitterly as he walked at priscilla's side down the long grass terrace between gombo and mr scogan a very much lowered deck-chair presented its back to the new arrivals as they advanced towards the tea-table gombo was leaning over it his face moved vivaciously he smiled he laughed again he made quick gestures with his hands from the depths of the chair came up a sound of soft lazy laughter dennis started as he heard it that laughter how well he knew it what emotions it evoked in him he quickened his pace in her low deck-chair anne was nearer to lying than to sitting her long slender body reposed in an attitude of listless and indolent grace within its setting of light brown hair her face had a pretty regularity that was almost doll-like and indeed there were moments when she seemed nothing more than a doll when the oval face with its long-lashed pale blue eyes expressed nothing when it was no more than a lazy mask of wax she was henry wimbush's own niece that bowler-like countenance was one of the wimbush heirlooms it ran in the family appearing in its female members as a blank doll face but across this dollish mask like a gay melody dancing over an unchanging fundamental bass passed anne's other inheritance quick laughter light ironic amusement and the changing expressions of many moods she was smiling now as dennis looked down at her her cat smile he called it for no very good reason the mouth was compressed and on either side of it two tiny wrinkles had formed themselves in her cheeks an infinity of slightly malicious amusement lurked in those little folds in the puckers about the half-closed eyes and the eyes themselves bright and laughing between the narrowed lids the preliminary greeting spoken dennis found an empty chair between gombo and jenny and sat down how are you jenny he shouted to her jenny nodded and smiled in mysterious silence as though the subject of her health were a secret that could not be publicly divulged how's london been since i went away anne inquired from the depth of her chair the moment had come the tremendously amusing narrative was waiting for utterance well said dennis smiling happily to begin with has priscilla told you of our great antiquarian find henry wimbush leaned forward the most promising of buds was nipped to begin with said dennis desperately there was the ballet last week mr wimbush went on softly and implacably we dug up fifty yards of oaken drain-pipes just tree-trunks with a hole bored through the middle very interesting indeed whether they were laid down by the monks in the fifteenth century or whether dennis listened gloomily extraordinary he said when mr wimbush had finished quite extraordinary 
he helped himself to another slice of cake he didn't even want to tell his tale about london now he was damped for some time past mary's grave blue eyes had been fixed upon him what have you been writing lately she asked it would be nice to have a little literary conversation oh verse and prose said dennis just verse and prose prose mr scogan pounced alarmingly on the word you've been writing prose yes not a novel yes my poor dennis exclaimed mr scogan what about dennis felt rather uncomfortable oh uh, about the usual things you know of course mr scogan groaned i'll describe the plot for you little percy the hero was never good at games but he was always clever he passes through the usual public school and the usual university and comes to london where he lives among the artists he is bowed down with melancholy thought he carries the whole weight of the universe upon his shoulders he writes a novel of dazzling brilliance he dabbles delicately in a moor and disappears at the end of the book into the luminous future dennis blushed scarlet mr scogan had described the plan of his novel with an accuracy that was appalling he made an effort to laugh you're entirely wrong he said my novel is not in the least like that it was a heroic lie luckily he reflected only two chapters were written he would tear them up that very evening when he unpacked mr scogan paid no attention to his denial but went on why will you young men continue to write about things that are so entirely uninteresting as the mentality of adolescents and artists professional anthropologists might find it interesting to turn sometimes from the beliefs of the black fellow to the philosophical preoccupations of the undergraduate but you can't expect an ordinary adult man like myself to be much moved by the story of his spiritual troubles and after all even in england even in germany and russia there are more adults than adolescents as for the artist he is preoccupied with problems that are so utterly unlike those of the ordinary adult man problems of pure aesthetics which don't so much as present themselves to people like myself that a description of his mental processes is as boring to the ordinary reader as a piece of pure mathematics a serious book about artists regarded as artists is unreadable and a book about artists regarded as lovers husbands dipsomaniacs heroes and the like is really not worth writing again jean christophe is the stock artist of literature just as professor radium of comic cuts is its stock man of science i'm sorry to hear i am as uninteresting as all that said gumbo not at all my dear gumbo mr scogan hastened to explain as a lover or a dipsomaniac i've no doubt of your being a most fascinating specimen but as a combiner of forms you must honestly admit it you're a bore i entirely disagree with you exclaimed mary she was somehow always out of breath when she talked and her speech was punctuated by little gasps i've known a great many artists and i've always found their mentality very interesting especially in paris schuplitsky for example i saw a great deal of schuplitsky in paris this spring ah but then you're an exception mary you're an exception said mr scogan you are a superior woman a flush of pleasure turned mary's face into a harvest moon End of chapter three recording by expatriate in bangor maine